Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, and joining me today, as always, is David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. Now, Liverpool over the weekend lost their sixth home game in a row to bottom side, well, bottom three side, Fulham, who in fairness are putting a good run together and giving themselves every opportunity of staying up this season. But for Klopp, Dave, how does he stop this rut and give themselves a chance to gain some form, I suppose, to get back into the top four before the end of the season? Have I not told you I've given up on football? <laughs> no, no, you can't. No. You can't be like the rest yeah. of the fans. I'm jumping, I'm, <laughs> I'm jumping <laughs> the fence. <laughs> ah, look, it's, um, you know, Liverpool's plight and how they've got here is fairly self-explanatory, but it's coming. It's for the last couple of weeks. It's got to the point of right. What do you do? What do you what do you do to adapt? And um, we might allude to it later on but, uh, when we're talking about City and, and lack of strikers. Up until last, this weekend, it hasn't caused them that much of a problem. So there comes a point where what are Liverpool going to do? And I think he teased me a little bit yesterday when, with 15 minutes to go, he brought on Fabinho and put him into midfield. Now, whether that was just because it was a a risk and reward situation or is that what he's going to start doing because people are easily keep going on and on and on about the centre-half positions and, the, and and that's the real reason but to be honest Liverpool crept their way up to the top of the table and it looked like they adapted to the situation from October and up until Christmas I think it was the I only watched it again the other day the Monday Night Football Carrigan never both predicted Liverpool going to win the league such was the reason or such was what everyone probably thought because considering the positions that the players that they were missing and they still managed to get there. But I think it was when Henderson was the final straw when he was taken out of midfield to be put into defence. That's when it all went wrong and it's nothing against him. It's the fact that midfield all of a sudden became incredibly ordinary, incredibly vulnerable and couldn't do what they've always done and then all of a sudden the back line's exposed and you have two centre midfielders playing. And that's when I think it all went wrong and midfield has been incredibly soft and if you look at it, Wijnaldum... I feel a bit sorry for. I think he's been on his own. Jones is safe, but still needs to time to adapt. And Thiago just has not happened. So I just wondering is that was it just a tease yesterday, or is that what's going to happen? Because I think we do have to, uh, for the want of a better phrase, go balls to the wall and, and try and and try and do something a little different, and maybe just go with the centre halves we have and Williams, Phillips, Kabak, and uh, Davies, and put Fabinho back in there and free up Boynaldum to really go go at what he does, which is high energy, and get the get the pressing going from midfield again, and maybe loosen up the, the front three, because um, we're very slow and predictable at the moment, and we're not getting the respect you would expect a, a champions team. Like, people who have any fears about playing Liverpool going, are Liverpool going to be, are they going to show up today? Is this the day they buy it back? Within five minutes of the, every game in the last month or two, it's, it, anyone's fears quickly dissipate, and we're there for the taking. So, that's where I hope or where I think it could work. Not work, but it could be a positive decision to bring Fabinho back in and try and get the midfield back motoring again because other than that, I don't think there is much hope at the moment with uh, Chelsea winning today and now at the moment West Ham currently winning. Do you feel now that Klopp has a big part to play in it that he probably made a mess of it? If he had had his midfield there pushing, pressing, like his front three would be pushing yeah. and pressing, 
that there wouldn't be as much pressure pressure on the back four, uh, no matter who was there. Yeah, like it's a bit of a yes to an extent because. Do you think I he's think, inv- he's invited on that pressure? Because he's, what he's saying, effectively, what you're saying there, and it seems to be that the strong midfield isn't there, so they're nearly bypassed all the time. There's no pressing, so they're they're never they're never really getting that high press. It's uh, always kind of half arsed. So now they're getting in yeah. on top of their back line a lot quicker, albeit. When Villa played them, they did have Van Dijk and all in there, and they they got you know got trounced, I oh, suppose. Yeah, a hundred percent. And look, that could have been just one of them one-off silly games, but obviously it's going to keep coming back now because of how the season's gone. But the season completely changed just a week or two later, so that's always going to be brought in as a reference point. And there may be some truth in that, without a shadow of a doubt, but. It's more about the here and the now. As I said, Liverpool did find a way of making it work to an extent up until Christmas. And as as I go again, and I'm repeating myself, once Henderson got taken out, all of a sudden, the midfield completely changed. So defence and midfield gone. Front three are a bit more lethargic this year, or because Jota's gone as well, it's just game after game. And I, I'm not buying the whole, I think they're tired. I, I just, as I said, they're a bit slow and a bit predictable and as I said people fancy their chances when it comes to playing Liverpool now they're there to be got at and look at the teams who they've lost in the last few weeks on paper it, 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 it shouldn't be it shouldn't be happening but they're definitely even if they win ugly this week I don't think it's the catalyst to change it they, they need to kind of a bit, and a bit alluding to potentially what we're going to go to there, there needs to be another way not necessarily a plan B but there needs to be a, a slight change in tactic for the time being because the 4-3-3 uh, and how they do it only works with pretty much 11 to 13 players, of which five or six are missing. So there needs to be something else. Make uh, like Find the strengths in the, the guys you have fit and make the most of it and adapt. Um, they need to do something fast because it, it, like they're not going to win the Champions League. And if they rested all their teams yesterday to make sure that the guys are fit for Wednesday, just to try and put all their eggs into the basket of trying to win the Champions League when you've got your Bayerns and Man Cities and whoever else is still in this competition. It's a, it's a, it's a silly risk, in my opinion. Like, Liverpool still can find a way to at least get competitive and at least get up to that top four and cause some problems. But they need to be looking at both. And that's where I fear, sorry for kind of going against what we're talking about here, but maybe some people are alluding to the fact that all that changes. Is that what it is? I bloody hope not. I hope it was just, I'm pissed off I want to kind of rattle the cage of a few people and make some changes and hopefully get a reaction. Neil, is there more to it than just missing the pair of centre-backs? Who's not pulling their weight, do you feel? Um, oh, the whole collective is just knackered at the moment and I think that's the biggest problem is that there's not one player or very, very few players that are doing their individual job and then collectively they're an absolute mess. Um, I would say if you take Robertson... <laughs> I was going to say Alisson other than the blip there's very few others that are absolutely flying at the moment in that team when Alden looks exhausted but he's played every minute of every game so you give him a free pass um, one of the front three are firing or doing anything um, Mane's having a really really poor season so I think it is more than just as I think as David's saying there it's a collective he he had a problem with midfield sorry he had a problem with the defence he moved his midfields to fix it now the, def- the midfielders in the defence are broken and now the whole system is broken. So he's going to have to find something different to get him through the next whatever, 10, 11, 12 games. Yeah, um, I suppose when you look at the back line, 
Alexander Arnold has always been seen to not be an amazing defender. And when Liverpool are on the front foot, that's when he's at his best. So I suppose that's a third player nearly gone. It's another another defender that is is not yeah. really there in that back four because it, it, the whole game plan has gone out the window there. So you're kind of looking just to scrape back into that top four. Yes, sad as that. I, I don't even think they're going to... I, I don't think there's a shadow of a doubt that they're not going to make the top four. I, they're seven points off or so, I think, after tonight. They've no form. They've nothing going for them at the moment. It's not like they got Jada back. It's not like they're getting another two or three players back. It's in big name players back within the next few weeks. I think they just have to open air a little bit more respect than losing whatever six of their last seven games or whatever it is now at this stage and see out the season. I don't think it's going to be any miraculous turnaround. Talking about the top four, the Champions League might be getting revamped. Dave, what do we know about it so far and when could the changes be put in place? Um... It's a bit UEFA Nations League a little bit, so I'm going to try and be careful. But uh, if you don't we like it... We, or when that came around, don't. Dave, we didn't explain that very well, so <laughs> I won't exactly. hold out much hope so, here now either. <laughs> but if, if anyone has a problem, you can contact Edwin van der Sar because it's his brainchild. Um, so basically, the, it's going to be reformed. Well, this is what they're looking to do, and if everyone starts to row in behind it, it could be signed off by the end of the month. So it's going to change from 32 to 36 teams. It's going to be all 36 teams in one league. So straight away, I'm sure everyone's going, what? I just said what and in my mind, yes. Watch, <laughs> yeah, and every team will play 10 matches, and you will all play 10 matches where you all play the similar ranked teams based on based on the UEFA coefficient. So, for example, say Man City and United are first and second, so they're going to be fairly high up in the coefficients in, in England. You will play somebody of that ilk around that area. So you will play a Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain, but you mightn't necessarily play the same team. But say United could play Paris Saint-Germain, while City will play Bayern Munich. Everyone will play 10 teams similarly ranked. So you will play a couple of crap teams, a couple of mid-level teams, and you'll play a couple of the, the top teams. So, but you'll play 10 matches, and I think it's the top 16 and that 36 go into the knockout stage. Are you with me? <laughs> Sounds like bullshit, Dave. <laughs> it just, uh, it doesn't sound, no, it doesn't sound appealing at all, does it? Yeah, like, uh, like I, I thought I was going to say it a simpler way, but I actually don't think I can. So, it's basically, I'm trying to see what is their word, and it's instead of eight groups of four playing six games each, as is currently the case, all teams will play ten matches against opponents of varying strengths and decided on each club's UEFA ranking. Results in these matches would form an overall table, which along with some two-legged playoffs, oh Jesus, it's worse, along with some two-legged playoffs would determine qualification for the post-Christmas knockout. Oh, bloody hell. Okay. Right. Okay. Maybe we're better off in the Europa League. So maybe Liverpool have the right yeah. idea. Exactly. So here's the worst part: the extra four places. Um, individual European leagues want the four additional places to go to champions of middle-tier countries who don't already automatically qualify. But the likelihood is two of the places will be given as wild cards, okay. with England likely to benefit from an additional fifth place which could then be decided on a coefficient. So, for example, say it starts next year. Liverpool finish eighth this year, but because of their history, 
could get that fifth place, which makes a mockery of it, in my opinion. And it's another potential fail state for if any big club have a bad year, you know? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm lost on that one again. If Liverpool came eight in the, the Premier League, Say, for example, this season. It's yeah. not going to happen next season. But say it happened for next season. Yeah. Uh, a fifth place goes to England and it could be based on, the, on the, your coefficient. So whoever finishes Liverpool fifth, whoever finishes fifth wouldn't get it. Just Liverpool would get it because exactly. of their ranking within European games. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it's probably an excuse for the big team to have a failed state. For say example, you have a Liverpool this season, you have a bad season, or Real Madrid for some reason go a bit wonky and come six, they can still get in the back door. So that's where. So it's a safety net for the big clubs. Correct. Okay. Now there's other aspects of it. So come back to me. So we'll stick to the Champions League bit because Agnelli, who is chairman of Juventus, has been a bit uh, vociferous today about uh, transfers and uh, amount of teams and leagues and stuff. So there's definitely things afoot, so to speak. Neil, how does that sound to you? Does it does it make it interesting? Does it make it appealing? Does um, you know? Is it trying to you know keep off and a breakaway European league? Yeah, it, it seems almost like a stepping stone that if they make you know thirty odd teams and the league with ten games, even the ten games seems like a lot of games to me. But um, I think what this is doing is, and Dave hit the nail on the head. They're just protecting the big teams in case they have a bad year. But also to see the scenario where you have 34 or 32 teams and the top 16 qualify, it's again survival of the fittest where you're making sure nearly that all the top teams will finish in the top whatever, 1 to 16 or 1 to 12 at least. And then you're only left with the elites when it comes to the knockout phase. Not that it would be a lot different, I guess, if you look at this year's knockout phase, but at least in a group of four, you may have a better chance of causing an upset. Um, you know, a couple of draws and sneak a win here or there, you might have a chance of progressing to the knockouts. Whereas over 10 games, you know, the big clubs and the Varses and all these lads are just going to hammer the smaller teams. The knockouts will become very, very predictable. Go on, Dave. Knock us over with a few more bits. Yeah, so he's been talking about the transfer system as well and the likelihood of capping player salaries and agencies. So he spoke about major changes to the transfer system which, as impractical as it appears, he feels may involve an agreement by leading clubs not to sell players to each other. The moment it's fertile to think of... Yeah. The moment it's fertile to think of greater solutions, he said. We should be looking at a wide range of reforms. We could think of a double-path transfer system where clubs qualifying for specific tiers of international competition wouldn't be allowed to buy each other's players in that season. So that would improve the indirect solidarity to other clubs and mean no triple-figure transfers amongst Champions League participating clubs. These are elements we are discussing. What do you think of that? I don't know. How did they get by off on something like that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's just... He jumped the fence there, and he's, I think, and he's hoping for... Um, yeah, he's hoping for something to... Uh, that could be for his own benefit. You know the way Liverpool and a couple of euros got a bit of stick for the Project Restart? Um Obviously, Juventus can't perform with the Premier League and when Real Madrid and Barcelona have had money and even Paris Saint-Germain. So is that just a way of them trying to compete with the big boys potentially? You know, that that could be from a a selfish uh, perspective, I think, for him. But the last thing he said was very much like all all top clubs, or or not top clubs, top teams or leagues need to start looking at 18-team seasons. For example, we have countries such as England with the maximum number of games domestically 
at around 53 or 54, while in Germany there's only 43. So it's very much having a balanced landscape and being, and, and, and kind of saying it should be one third international football, two thirds uh, domestic. This must be their overall plan to try and push VAR into the back of our minds. Come up with an even worse idea just to sort of mess us all up. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, I'm, I, I can't yeah. say I'm 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 overexcited about that one now. So, um, anyhow, we, we, I think yeah. we'll move move on for that before we uh, before Neil. Blame Edwin Van der in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea tonight beat Everton 2-0 and since Thomas Tuchel took over from Frank Lampard Tuchel has overseen 11 games in charge of Chelsea and guided the side to 9 wins and 2 draws in all competitions they have also only conceded twice in those matches Neil, how have you assessed the start so far? Yeah, I, I think it's very impressive um, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it tonight like, you kind of watch Tuchel where he's come from against your dorm and PSG so he's used to kind of dealing with uh, high profile stars and Chelsea's always been a dressing room where you really have to have a manager to win there and dominate that dressing room because if not they get eaten up and uh, fired by Christmas which is the normal state of affairs but I think he actually is a good match for Chelsea insofar as no one that goes into Chelsea is ever there for five years it's a two or a three year project what I find it very interesting is his, uh, his press conferences and his comments after the match even his aggressiveness for the sideline the way he kind of talks about his players. Um, I know Gary Lineker was the big no-no by talking about Hudson Adoy after one of the games. He just came out and said, I didn't like his body language when he lost the ball, um, which is quite entitled to say. And he got a reaction and he brought Hudson Adoy in in the next game and Hudson Adoy did okay for him. But uh, I think he's changed the system. He's made them more kind of European style. He's gone to a tree at the back. He's got rid of one or two of the players that he didn't feel were up to the scratch. He's given everybody else in the squad like an equal standard, an equal chance. And even tonight, their Kai Havertz, who wasn't doing well, are getting in. Had a really good game against Everton. He's, he's kind of reignited him. Uh, he's put his faith in Werner as his main man up top. He's been adaptable. He's brought in Giroud when he needed a bit of a change or he thought he felt he needed a target back. Um, but I think he's got that kind of mentality and you can see him on the sideline. Like he was out there tonight and he was rolling at them players for misplaced passes, for, you know, not making the challenge. And I think as a result, it's rubbed off on the field and Chelsea are a very, very robust side. And there's not many teams that can take everything. Everything are a big, physical, ferocious type of side that don't give you an inch. And Chelsea absolutely battered them there tonight in the game. They, they went toe-to-toe and then had that little bit class just to open up and get the goals. So um, I think he'll go far. It'll be interesting in the Champions League, and he's already had one brilliant result against Atletico. And how far he can actually take them in the Champions League because they were badly exploited in the Champions League last year under Lampard. Yeah, Dave, are you starting to see who he favours? Who do you think might have to look elsewhere in the summer? Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one, all right, and pretty much agree with 100% everything uh, Neil has said, and I don't think he's missed a beat there, really. I think... Uh, Thiago Silva was only there for a year but he could be in trouble because one of the biggest and, and, one, and, and one or two of the other defence uh, players who started at the start of the season because uh, Tuchel has become the first manager in Premier League history to see a side keep team sheet in each of the first five home games in charge you know so he realised that's where Lampard's biggest problem was he was leaking goals and he's tightened that up but then as, as Neil has said he's made players accountable and all of a sudden they're playing for a new guy so they have to impress so Hopefully it's a long term for, for Chelsea. I'm going to say long term, exactly what Neil said, a year or two because they don't last that long. But I'm, I wouldn't quite jump the gun just yet. But uh, as regards 
I would have up until today would have said Havertz. I was a bit surprised or whether he's going to get a tune out of him. But it's more probably the guys who are on the periphery, your Billy Gilmore's and stuff, will, will, the young guys, will they kind of have a chance now if the guys who are currently in, that's going to be his kind of core of players. And then he's going to start bringing in his own on top of that. So it's the guys who have been on the periphery who are threatening to, they're the ones who are kind of potentially in the biggest trouble. Okay, so we'll see. We'll definitely see over the next uh, while. It's been impressive so far for them. What can he get out of the season this year? I'm not, I suppose after leaving Paris Saint-Germain, you, you probably did question him a little bit. He's certainly, mm-hmm. you know, changing people's mind about him. But again, um, you finish this season, you start next season. It's a whole new, whole new league again, and you have to prove yourself again. So, it'd be very, very interesting to see. And if, if, and who comes in in the summer, um, are they happy yeah. with who they've brought in already? Do they need to bring in other players? You'd be wondering who who's going to come in uh, there as well. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer and an interesting finish to the season for Tuchel. Okay, looking at the teams in the Premier League, like Liverpool, United, and Everton lately, I suppose the question is. Can all these? I suppose most teams in the in the Premier League do they have a plan B? Like most of them seem to be knocking on the door in the same manner all the way through games. I'll start this one with you, Neil. Uh, Liverpool are probably a great example to start with. You know what? What is the plan B's for these teams? There doesn't seem to be too many different options. Yeah, I I find this question an interesting one purely because you know when you're on the internet after games or you're looking at forums and whatnot, and people always go ah, they're trying the same thing every week. What's their plan B? So. If you look back years, you know, you, you threw on the big man up front for the last 15 minutes of a game and you launch balls in and you tried to get, you know, a little flick on you know, what you were doing. Um, now, me and Dave obviously have been in the Liverpool the last six, seven weeks, but you look at the lineup and it's released, you see the kind of match day lineup and you think to yourself, Jesus, he's going to try something different today. But uh, Liverpool's plan B, I don't, re- I don't want to say it doesn't exist. I think he can be adaptable. I think in the weekend, obviously, Salah up through the middle. So again, that's a complete change of what they normally do. I think he's tried to experiment by pushing Robertson wide left, uh, almost going with a three in the back, one of the midfielders filling in and moving Mane uh, in ahead of uh, Firmino in the last few weeks. Neil, well. is, that, so is, two. is that a plan B or is that just desperation? Yeah, well, I tell what it is. It, it, it's getting very, very desperate because he has to try something. But as I was going to say there, I don't really consider that a plan B. As in, when you change from a midfield, from a diamond to something flat. To go from a plan B, you've got to do something like Chelsea has done, where you completely change the structure of your team or the directiveness of your team. Uh, Liverpool, as Davis saying later on there, just seem to pass the ball to death and then it goes nowhere. And that kind of speed of transition is gone, where they used to play balls from Van Dijk over the top. Teams are just sitting there and they're killing them. But I'd be more inclined, I don't know what your own opinions are on it, but what do you do for Liverpool when you know the team is going to sit deep, you know they're going to sit in their 18-yard box, and then they're just going to try and hit you on the break? If your plan B is to say, well, OK, we're going to pack the midfield with, say, Wijnaldum and Milner or Fabinho, and we're going to have two blockers, we're going to sit deep, what will happen to the game? Like, the team's going to come out and go, oh, great, Liverpool are sitting back, let's have a go with them. It's a hard thing to change. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the manager and his philosophy and his method of thinking. And I think Klopp, at the moment, is shown to be very, very stubborn insofar as he hasn't changed enough other than the weekend where he literally, that maybe that was a plea to say, listen, my second string aren't good enough. But I don't think he's changed enough to say, you know what, I'm willing now, we're six-odd losses at home, 
to make a stamp and a mark to show people that we're going to try something very, very different. So again, I'm hoping that he's going to come up with something, but I don't think I'm very confident that he's going to pull it off, judging what we've seen with the little tweaks and adjustments he's made in the last three weeks. Dave, I suppose the opposite can be said about Manchester United, maybe Leicester City, who seem to be counter-attacking teams. When they come up against teams who sit back, defend, block up around the area, they don't seem to have a, a plan to adjust to that either, do they? Yeah, like, you could rhyme off most of the teams and kind of go with what they're good at, and it's very much what they stick to. Um, a, a, a lot of clubs, if not practically all of them, are guilty of having the one game plan, and you kind of wonder to yourself, what is it? Like, is, is there not enough time to be able to show them other ways of playing or just changing things up and mix up. It's very weird because even City, and I'm not moaning or picking holes at City, but what frustrates them, if you can keep them quiet for 20 minutes, half an hour, that's the big thing for City. They do tend to, for some bizarre reason, tighten up a little bit and get a little bit desperate in their passing. You watch City over the last 20 games. They, if they score in the first 10, 15 minutes, it's not going to be 1-0 and it's over. It's 3 and 4 and 5. It's, it's like it's a, a drug and it just gives them something extra and then all of a sudden any inhibitions are gone and they just kill you and steamroll you. While any game games they've lost or struggled this year, you keep them quiet for half an hour. All of a sudden, it gets a little bit tight, gets a little bit not as smooth and comfortable and all of a sudden those lovely little true balls and over. So you have to really be disciplined and, and get them get them into that kind of vulnerability and then all of a sudden impose yourself. And United have been brilliant at that for the last year or two. Um but that's where City have lost this year, if you know what I mean, because they do what they do. United very much sit back, soak it up, hit on the on, on the break with so many pacey players. So what do you do to that? You sit back and go, right, well, they play through it. And they distinctly lack. You know, same with Leicester, very much use the pace of Vardy, try and get in behind, and pretty much sit back, try and get him in front of the defence, and all of a sudden it becomes very sane and very predictable. Um. Spurs, it's hard to say what their game is. It's just keeping Kane fit because when he's fit, they play well. Although Gareth Bale is back, so that's that's, that's that now. He's back so that, so that's their tactic: <laughs> keep Harry fit. Bu- yeah. bubble, bubble wrap. Son's going around with bubble wrap exactly. out in the car park. Yeah, but, but then too, for some reason, when they play, Spurs are decent. But when they don't, they're incredibly ordinary. But you know, you can go through every team. I'm not going to waste my breath. But you can go through most teams and, and and really kind of pick out what they're good at. But what else do they throw in the mix? Not a lot else. In a weird way, because nowadays it's very much the two players for every position, but it's the same bloody player, if you know what I mean, or not as good a version. But certainly Liverpool, for that matter, if we have two for every position, like like they bought Simicas to have a, a have a left back, no idea what he's like. Is he does he bring something different to Robinson? Not a clue. Nico Williams, very much a similar ilk to, to, to Alexander Arnold. Midfield, very samey, very much a lot of energy running around and the front three well there is only the front three and Jota unfortunately has been injured so it's the same for a lot of squads it's two players for every position but they're very similar so it's very much oh if I'm missing a player we just keep doing what we're doing trust the system trust the system trust the system you just don't seem to see any more players now Neil where there's a Fellaini where he did knock a long ball when he was with Everton or Manchester United, oh, yeah. knock it down into the box, cause panic. Duncan Ferguson, same. Andy Carroll when he was with Newcastle. Yeah. That was your out ball. Get it in there and cause panic. That was your, your, your nearly your plan B, although sometimes for some of these teams that was their plan A. But you don't see that anymore. It seems like it's it's a, it's a, it's a bad thing to do that. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think, and that, that was what I was kind of, the point I was trying to make here is that I was joking saying that watching Everton versus Chelsea there tonight was like watching the Italian league of yesteryear where you have two very, very well set up, well coached, well managed teams that are defensively sound. They have a foundation built. They've built it on two blockers or a very, very low block. Um, and it was like nearly a game of chess there tonight. And the reason why Chelsea won out over Everton was just Chelsea had that little bit of magic on the counter. They had a little bit of magic to create something a little bit better than Everton did. But as you say, I'd say Fellaini was probably the last of the the different old school type of players where, and let's be honest, Mourinho actually used them very well, launch a ball in there. And I'd say a massive high percentage, you're talking 90% of the time, he's going to win the ball or cause some sort of havoc. But, no one seems to have that guy on the bench anymore. Bordley play with two of them up front, but that's just their style. But there's no one else has something different, as Dave said. It's like for like. So when these teams are planning going forward, they're thinking, right, our left winger like Leicester, it's Harvey Barnes. If he gets injured, it's Harvey Barnes, Mark 2, Mark 3. So they don't seem to have an alternative to change it up. The only changes are plan B is that any team I ever see has is take off one of your midfield blockers and put an extra guy up front. And that's yeah. literally it. Or maybe bring in a 10. But there's no great kind of, you know, tactical change other than a little bit of desperation and maybe getting the ball forward quicker. Um, and it just seems to be kind of that that's died out of the game now because teams are just too well set up defensively to fall for stuff like that. So basically, effectively, what we're saying is that there's only two styles now. There's uh, pressing high and counter-attacking in football. There, there is little or nothing else uh, that seems uh, we need to bring Wimbledon back don't we <laughs> maybe it's just because Liverpool are so bad I, I'm trying to find another sport but it, it's football going in a weird way like because you know we talked about it before on the show like coaching you have to everyone follows the same rule book now you can't you can't be a manager unless you get your badges and guess what they all do the same bloody course yes you can try and put your own spin your own chances and say Man City were the, the flag bearer in the last couple of seasons. Right, let's all start playing like City. Or sorry, I take it back. Barcelona were the flag bearers. Right, let's all start playing the tiki-taka and, and, and the high press. Okay, now it's not quite so much so working. Let's do the sit-back and counter-attack. It's, it's very, it's getting a bit robotic. And I'm just wondering, like, is that kind of, you know, obviously the retro football we've watched, but the Maverick players are the guys who just have that bit of something that, you almost let them away with it because, God, they can unlock something. But every single player has to be the athlete now and they have to put in a shift. You can't have them players who sit there sprinkling magic dust around the place. And it's, that magic, our own predictability has gone out of the game. It's 11 athletes running their socks off for 90 minutes. And if one of them is, is faltering, get on another robot to, to run hard again. Like the, the skill element is slowly, not slowly, but it's not there as much. I'm not saying it's gone or dying, but it's like Brazil, like we used to hark back to them type of teams. Like even they have to be that kind of machines now on those robots, like the ultimate athletes, and it's 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 sad. Yeah, Neil, you want to finish off on that? Yeah, I, I think there's it, it summed up nicely there. Actually, I was going to say if you think of the old fashioned player, when you no know way you say you carry the player or a flair player, you allow yeah. your team to have one guy, you know. Grealish and Ndombele, say, for example, would be these days kind of flair players. But boy, Jesus, they put in a shift. Like, Grealish walks his socks off for the team. Ndombele came in and Mourinho come down on him like a ton of bricks because he was very his attitude and his kind of laziness, you could see it. 
in his kind of in his character, the way he performs on the pitch. But get him on the ball, and he was a complete different player. But you can't have a luxury player anymore on the field. It's just not available. And as Dave says, you need all ten outfield players absolutely working their socks off and doing it at the highest level. And as soon as you wave from that and allow one player to drop off, the whole system breaks down. And unfortunately, that means you don't see them flare players anymore, the guys that you just gave a free license to roam. They all have to be workhorses, and it's a bit of a shame. Okay, we'll leave that one there. That's certainly something that we'll be keeping an eye on. Um, There's been talk that top clubs set to ban players from travelling for international call-ups. Is this a genuine concern for the players or just a fear of quarantine and losing half their squad for the next game? What do you reckon, Dave? Um, I would side with more the latter. Um, the fear of uh, quarantine, depending on what countries they go to. Obviously, it came out today that Ireland are now playing um, Qatar in a, a way in, in a couple of weeks' time because they were supposed to be playing in uh, they, their training camp is in Austria and Austria is on the tier 2 level and stuff like that so now the game is going to Hungary so that there's travel um, that's a different matter altogether but Liverpool uh, are definitely one of them where I think Klopp is very much airing on the side of he doesn't want his Dutch players well obviously there's only Wijnaldum with Holland um, and there is talk of it and Netherlands have included five players English sides are concerned about releasing their top stars to travel abroad as they will consequently face a 10-day quarantine when they return. So that's ultimately probably what it is. It's not necessarily their safety because they're quite happy for them to be playing both home and away in Hungary and all over the place when it, when it suits them. But um, it doesn't look like this kind of special preference or whatever special pass because they're, in, because they're going into another bubble. Technically, they break the bubble, so therefore the quarantine has to come into effect. So it looks like some pl- some clubs and players could be on a collision course for problems. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fair enough, I suppose. If you're paying the wages of these players and the league are demanding yeah. constant testing at a cost to expect that your players be kept safe at home and not travelling to the back arse of Europe for World Cup qualifiers, especially after the cases in the last international break. So, Neil, is it... You can't really say, listen, Premier League is being greedy or, or Syria A or whoever it is. The last international break, half 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 of these teams were, you know, riddled with. Uh, you look at Ireland from our point of view, riddled. I think France were riddled. Um, what what do you do? Yeah, I think that they're, look, they're protecting their own interests. You know, these are very, very valuable assets. And although it might be a week or two, as Dave says there, you send some guy away for two weeks, and he comes back, then that's a quarantine for two weeks. That's an uh, that could be a disaster. Like that could be the difference. I won't say in Liverpool, but say in the likes of Everton or Spurs, not making a top four position because they're missing their one or two players. And if you're very reliant on them one or two players and they're going away and they're playing, they're coming back in their quarantine, that could be a massive, massive difference. That could be a six-point swing at times. And I think they're right. I think they're protecting their interest. And to be honest with you, uh, especially even if you look at the likes of the Brazilian team, for example, that could cause havoc on numerous teams. If they go away and they have proven this, that they've gone away and they've gotten infected and coming back, you're then bringing an issue into your own bubble. So until it all settles down, and maybe it could be, you know, September, October, and they have to start using some common sense. Now, whether they get away with it or there's some sort of, you know, FIFA ruling around having been uh, made available, um, I think they're right to fight their ground um, and see where that goes because it could be beneficial for everyone in the Premier League if a little bit of common sense can be used and stop these guys going away. 
Um, just on that there, just to give you a couple of the quotes, because Klopp, I think, was the first one uh, today. I think FIFA was kind of clear that we don't have to let the players go this time. I think all the clubs agree with that. With the sa- uh, that with the same problems, we cannot just let the boys go. It is just not possible. I understand the need of the different FAs, but this is a time where we cannot make everyone happy. And we have to admit the players are paid by the club. So that means we have to be first priority. And Mourinho then went on to say the clubs have the right to protect themselves because Jürgen is right. The, co- the clubs pay the players. And I could go on and on, but Solskjaer is not quite there yet, but saying something similar. It's going to be very interesting for all international sides to see what kind of strength team and this is the World Cup you're talking about this is this is a huge competition for for all these international sides so you but, know you wonder what, Roy, yeah it shouldn't be a problem because Roy Keane said anyone who, who can trap a ball can play so it's not that hard <laughs> yeah but we might be struggling Dev we might be struggling <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we it's yeah no it's you know these games could turn farcical now um, in the end yeah. of this month so I'm just hoping that that's not the case anyhow uh, just a little bit of breaking news from tonight and just to finish it off the FA says it's, it welcomes talks over the potential broadcasting of refereeing decisions after a game to demystify the process meaning that referees could be interviewed so they could explain their decisions so Dave would that be a step in the right direction? Yeah without a doubt um, but I, and I, don't, I don't want to pour cold water on it because ultimately We've said it a few times, and it's not just me, but I'd rather just hear it during the game. You know, no other sport the referees come out after. Yes, fair enough, maybe the odd time for something bizarre, but, you know, we always go on about rugby, but you know what they're talking about. You know the big decisions they make, and you move on quite quickly. Um, That's where I would kind of go with more so, but I don't want to necessarily say this. this, it's a good idea in in the sense that it's better than, than what we have, which is nothing. But personally, I think just uh, turn the mics on when they're in the process of talking to each other and making decisions and I think they don't even have to worry about justifying themselves after a game but yeah. it's easy to justify yourself and try and come up with excuses after a game you've got time to think and as Neil said last week somebody could get to you beforehand listen it's all kicking off here's what you say and it's all very protected yeah true um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you I do think that the you know in game sort of feedback from the referees we talked about VAR where he should request Unless VAR thinks a bit like the rugby VAR thinks, listen, you should look at that because that's going to be a penalty. Um, unless the referee requests a bit of help, then you know maybe he doesn't need it. His decision should be one of the the, the big decisions in a game. Neil, what do you make of that? Referees after a game, bit of heat put on them. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really in favour after the game, but like you're both saying there, I think it'd be hugely beneficial to hear it in game. And one of the nonsenses is that the commentators can hear the referees' com- conversations, yeah. the likes of Neville and all, and that's what. And they have a lot of sympathy towards. But I think Neville and Carragher gave a very good interview a couple of weeks ago where they were saying if if you could hear even half of what goes on the conversation, because people just think you know it's offside or it's a foul or it's a poke back or whatever it is. Um, and then it's like, yep, give a penalty, no, give a penalty. There's a load of little intricate conversations based on the rules that happen to make that decision, that weigh in to make that decision. And if we were kind of privy to them at the time, you'd be a hell of a lot more understanding, or at least that's what the two guys believe. Um, I don't see a lot of value after the fact because it turns into the blame game there where you're blaming a ref for bad decisions. What do you want then at that stage? You want accountability? 
like a piece of flesh. I don't know about that. I'd rather listen to it there and then like the rugby or one of them. It leaves absolutely no confusion. And then, yeah, you can move on and kind of you'll understand the decision a bit better. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. So um, it sounds sounds logical, but maybe um, that's not what they, they're going for. We'll leave it like that. It's uh, Champions League week this week, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the European games. And we got the Premier League, of course, next week and uh, every other little bit of football that surrounds us. And uh, if there's anything that you want talked about, uh, send a message in to the bkickoff96.4 at gmail.com. Neil, Dave, thanks very much. Talk to you next week. Thanks, James, guys.